If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. And on today's show, we will talk to legendary, iconic runner, distance runner, Olympic medalist, Dina Castor, about her love of baking, and Adam and I will break down, yes, you knew this was coming, the Uncle Drew movie, the movie that finally got Chris Webber that elusive championship. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago, and joining me in the room this week in a very hot studio in a very hot city, it is a renowned, respected, uh, uh, over the hill, but back at it one more time. PR guy. <laughs> PR guy. <laughs> Who PR has guy long time for, with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Millard. Adam, um, don't want to spoil anything about the movie, but did you already fill out your Oscar bracket uh, before you even left the theater? Yeah, for the star of the movie, whose name I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, the I guy- don't mean Kyrie Irving because he is not the star of the movie. <laughs> no, he is not. He is really not. Um, all right. Well, should we just get right into it? Yeah. Not with us tonight. Our producer extraordinaire Gareth Hughes also not with us. Uh, in a in a uh, Uncle Drew like extended absence from the court. <laughs> Joe Reed, <laughs> our, our producer, also our producer extraordinaire. So right now we're taking the open of the show, make it wide open. Anything in the sports world is fair game. And Adam. At what point, at what point did you really start questioning your life uh, judgments uh, when we decided we were going to go do the Uncle Drew movie? Um, I really thought it was a good idea. We I, we we both worked a full day, and I thought, well, if nothing else, this will be an, a nice way to kick back and relax. And uh, twenty minutes into the trailers, <laughs> uh, I realized. Uh, I was feeling more tense than when I came in. Uh, we were, we were two of, what would you say, nine people in the theater? Yeah, when we first got in there, there was literally no one sitting in front of us in the movie theater, which was actually pretty funny. We tweeted about it. Some people came in, and honestly, Adam, some people really enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I was, yeah. I was pretty happy. Yeah, we had to a, see a, the good response. Cr- a good crowd of seven other people, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be too cynical about this movie, but I was I was hoping for it to be a bit more charming than it was. I thought Kyrie <laughs> was great, um, but you don't see him for the first 20 minutes of the film. You really don't see much of Kyrie for a long time, and I was starting to get a little worried we had a bait-and-switch situation <laughs> on our hands. Well, let me give you the backstory, because for those who don't know, Uncle Drew was a... a a Pepsi viral video. I don't even think it was a commercial initially. It was a viral Pepsi video Max, that yeah. Kyrie, when he was really young, it might have even been after his rookie year or going into it, he did where he dressed up like an old guy, uh, you know, kind of ran some younger players off the court. Then they did a couple follow-ups, one with Kevin Love um, and some other players. And, you know, it, it was a beloved sort of fun, culty thing that came out 
you know, you know, before the start of the season each year, and it was fun. And and then when I heard they were turning this commercial into a movie, I was like, uh, because that's the type of thing that guys like you or me say. Yeah. And then we know that that's all bogus, and we're not going to do that. And then someone's like, no, but I found the money, and we did it. We did it. We all remember that one moment that made us believe. He's done it again. The game is filled with stories of legends and how they were born. But this is not that story. Uncle Drew! Who are you? I'm here to make sure that he's tall enough to ride the ride that my man about to put him on. All right. Uh, give, give our listeners, Adam, a quick synopsis of the movie. Um, our star of the movie, whose name we don't know. Uh, okay, it's Lil, Lil, Lil Rel Howery, and who it, it was the, the comic relief in the movie Get Out. Yep. So you'd recognize the dude who was the, well, he was uh, he was like a um, airport security guy in Get Out, right? Right. And he was great in Get Out. Yeah, he was. He was a he was a good role player, and in this movie, he is the star. He had a traumatic. <laughs> Real quick, th- this this really reminds me of. You know, uh, Scotty Pippen taking over the Bulls. Like awesome role player, maybe not, maybe not supposed to be leading the entire thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting choice for the lead. Um, so, what is the movie about? Uh, so, <laughs> so this character, Pepsi. He, it's about delicious Pepsi. He has a traumatic basketball uh, related uh, childhood incident where he gets blocked by the antagonist of the movie and decides he can no longer play, but he really, as a basketball coach, wants to enter his team into the Rucker Classic. Real quick, can we break down that incident when he was a kid? Sure. So they make a big deal of pointing out that he was an orphan, like an unclaimed orphan. Yep. Who found his way into like a what seemed to be like an affluent school? Yeah, was the best player on the basketball team, and lost a game in what looked to be like fourth or fifth grade level. Like it could sixth grade maybe. It was not at like high school state championship. Yeah, he was young. It was one he game still had a, in youth sports. Right, he had a whole career in front of him, but everyone yelled at him and told him he was a loser and he shouldn't be on the court. But isn't that still better than being an orphan? Like I just don't understand. Like they, sure. they made him go from yeah, I was like Oliver Twist on the on the freaking mean streets yeah. of uh, 18th century colonial Britain to um, oh woe is me, I got my shop blocked, blocked. once and I I'm going into like a like sort of a mental shell. Yes. <laughs> Are you saying that's not traumatic? I'm just saying you still have time to recover. Probably the only flaw with the script. Yeah. Well, you don't <laughs> know what's going motivation. on in his home life. So this character. Decides to Dax. Dax. They call him Dix sometimes. Dax, man. So Dax (laughs) decides to enter a team into Rucker, uh, the Rucker tournament, where the prize is apparently $100,000. I was a bit confused on the math. Is that $100,000 that he gets to keep all of it? Is it $100,000 for the coach and per player? There seemed to be a ton of money at stake for this. All I know is his girlfriend, played by Tiffany Haddish, um, was was looking at Teslas, so you would think there's a significant <laughs> amount of money, and I guess Pepsi's funding it, um, but hard to tell. Uh, anyways, by so, the way, that hundred thousand dollars doesn't even go far on a Tesla, right? 
I don't. I don't think so. My uncle has one. And, right. Uh, I mean, after taxes, I don't even know if yeah. you, can, you can outfit that with any any fancy gizmos. No, I don't think so. Probably not even not even a CD player in that Tesla <laughs> or an MP3 jack. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think you get a rear tire on a Tesla for a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, he's he's got to put together a team. He's got to put together a team. So so uh, what's what's the character? What's the uh, I, you, I clearly didn't pay attention during this movie. Aaron Gordon's character. Yeah, Aaron Gordon had a meaty role. Yeah. Like, you might argue Aaron Gordon's in this movie more than Kyrie. <laughs> I was I was thinking the same thing. So Aaron Gordon uh, is originally signed up to be on Dax's team. Um, and then betrays him and leaves to go to Nick Kroll's team. Comedian Nick Kroll plays a character. What did we think about Nick Kroll as the antagonist uh, bad coach? Uh, I don't think there was enough of him. Uh, <laughs> Shockingly. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty hot take. He plays the antagonist who signs Aaron Gordon and his players. So Dax is forced to go wandering the streets of New York to to try to get anyone to join his team and play in the Rucker tournament. And he stumbles upon our hero, Kyrie Irving. You want to take it from there? So after that, first of all, if you want to like just go into a coma, then do the Uncle Drew drinking game where every time they say young blood, you have to drink. Because <laughs> you'll be dead by the time they even catch up with like Reggie Miller's character. <laughs> so it, it becomes kind of this, like, let's go, come on, young blood. Let's go down to Chocolate City and pick up well, next guy. And well, then and, and, and wait, pick we, up next I, guy. I thought the best scene in the movie was when he first meets Uncle Drew. And we see, similar to the commercial, uh, Uncle Drew stumbles off out of the bleachers after criticizing these young bloods who can't play and, and hustles uh, one of the guys one-on-one. -on -one. I, yeah. I, I thought that was like... That it was the essence of the commercial and the closest we got to it. So Uncle Drew spends the entire movie going up to people and teaching them about fair play and justice and honesty. So, Adam, let me ask you a question. Was he a ghost? Uh, well, the thing about the magical Negro is he helps out a white protagonist and Dax is dark as midnight. So... <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, no. I see where you're going. Uh, no, he was like a, he was a, a prophet or a messiah character uh, in this movie, but uh, no, not quite magical. Neat. Which of these supporting performances uh, of the starting five here, and really six, yeah. w did you warm to the most? So I'm gonna go through them. There was uh, Chris Weber playing yeah. preacher, like sort of the. the the old school, uh, you know, pastor who comes on. There was Reggie Miller playing Lights, who was uh, like the lights out shooter, but had vision Legally problems. Blind. Yep. Nate Robinson played Boots. Yep. Um, and of course, Shaquille O'Neal, who played. I don't even know his characters. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, a big fella. <laughs> and uh, and Lisa Leslie. And Lisa Leslie. Uh -huh. Which of those perform? And Count Uncle Drew here. Which of all the yeah. performances did you think was the actually the best on screen? I did think uh, Uncle Drew was surprisingly understated, and uh, he played this older gentleman character, uh, but without too much stick, and was able to deliver a believable performance. 
Chris Webber, I had to ask you halfway through the movie, who is that? And I thought it was Chris Webber, but I wasn't sure. Because he was he really, lost in the character. He really sold me. <laughs> uh, I thought the rest of the guys, and, and the ca- they cast the rest of the guys for a reason, but they all kind of played themselves. Um, with now, I don't know much about Nate Robinson or what his personality is like. I thought he did a good job, too. Um, but I think uh, Kyrie and Chris Webber won in 1A, 1B. Chris Webber maybe didn't win that NCAA title or NBA finals, but it's going to be that much sweeter when he wins the Golden Globe and the Oscar in the same year. Because <laughs> Chris Webber was magnetic on screen, man. He was he he sold every moment of that performance. My man Kevin Durant started a new beginning in Golden State. You preach, preacher. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Oh, no. Steph Curry, your baby, that's insane! Off the bank for the preacher! I just came from hell whooping the devil's ass. He was doing something more than just copying like Eddie Murphy doing a black preacher in Coming to America. Like the way he used his voice, there was just a little bit more like he was going for something in yeah. a way that I don't think any like Reggie Miller was just sort of talking yeah. into the air as Reggie Miller with yeah. makeup on. Chris Webber was acting. Right. I, agree. I was impressed. I'm not joking. I loved I loved Chris Webber in this movie. No, I did too. I he yeah, he contorted his face and he, even from the very first scene you just his posture, he, he went all the way weird. in for it. Does yeah. Chris wait, does Chris Webber stand like that? Does he have like scoliosis? I don't now? know. I didn't realize he was quite that thin. Either. I thought uh, there were m- many moments in this where I was legitimately concerned for the health of the athletes involved. <laughs> so I'm like, is this the way your body looks now, Shaq? Are you that big? And Chris Webber, do I you stand Sha- like that? I think Shaq is that big. Yeah. Well, Shaq was golden, as always. Uh, he, he he had some hammy stuff that was funny. He and Uncle Drew, long-standing rivalry. Well, I don't understand why that was necessary and why they chose that particular rivalry. So Uncle Drew's character slept with Shaq, Shaq's character Sorry, Kyrie Irving's character, <laughs> Uncle Drew, slept with big Shaq, fellas, big fellas, wife. future wife before the marriage. Before their marriage, why was that a controversy? They were well because it was the night before the wedding. Oh, oh. or it was right before the wedding. I thought it was before the get championship game, no. which happened to be the day of the wedding as well. Oh yeah, oh right. Yeah, I don't know, man. There was a, I don't the, the know backstory this, of this was yeah. a little convoluted. Yeah. Also, we, this is in a universe where the Rucker tournament is like ESPN's leading <laughs> yeah. highlight. I love when they're when they're driving the van around the country, they stop to get gas, and on the gas station TV highlights is what's happening at this <laughs> Rucker tournament. It's like living in an alternate universe where like Iron Man's real, and you're just like, it's, oh yeah, of course, Iron Man. It's like the All Valley tournament <laughs> is attended by. 15,000 people. We got to talk about the tournament for a minute. (laughs) First of all, they'd won the first two games, and they were like, two to go. And I I remember looking at you, and I was like, only 16 teams (laughs) vying vying for $100,000. And and it was a $5,000 buy-in, which means this lost significant (laughs) money. (laughs) Yeah, operation operation costs are ridiculous. Two, I was never really clear on the role. There was a moment when they started playing, and I looked at you, and I was like, are they just going to just show this entire game? Like, is this, we did a point where they're going to show like 40 minutes of basketball in a row. Yeah. But in the first game, it's like four quarters. They're playing to like a hundred something. I I have no idea if that's, um, if that's how, uh, 
if that's how these games work in real life. I have no idea. I don't, yeah, I didn't know it there was seem a cap. Right. Like, oh, well, no, that's it. Either first one to 107 or well, the later, end of the like, game wins. It's like there's like two minutes left and they're up. There's like two minutes left. They're up by like, you know, 30 points. And it's like, oh, man, if they get one more basket, like they got this one. And I'm like, but there's a ticking clock. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, Or they play to like 106. Like it didn't make any sense at all. Well, the one game we don't even get to see the end of it, where it's uh, oh, that was the same game where we they say the <laughs> right. two more points and they Shaq, don't score. Yeah, big fella and Uncle Drew get into it, and then the game ends in scene. Let's power rank the performances from the athletes. Yep. Okay, I think we agree. Reggie Miller probably the the worst of them. Yeah, I mean he just was himself, and maybe they didn't ask more of him, but. Uh, yeah, he was who he was. Then Nate Robinson, because he really didn't have to do anything. You think? I think Lisa Leslie. Yeah, they, they were about the same. Yeah. So then your your big three would be in order: rank Shaq, Drew, uh, oh Shaq, Kyrie, and uh, I've already forgotten who's in this fucking movie. <laughs> Sha- oh, that's the big four: Shaq, Kyrie, Dude, Shaq, Kyrie, Aaron Gordon, and uh, and uh, Chris Webber. Yeah, I would have to put Nate Robinson in the top in the top four. I know he didn't have to do much, but the scene where well, you who first... do you bump? Aaron Gordon. Uh nah, I'm bumping Shaq. Oh, just because it was so easy for him, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just him. they were like, listen, man, don't we'll feed you your lines. Just show up. We want you in this movie. Yeah, I think Nate Robinson. At least when you see him at the beginning. So Nate Robinson's character at first, has not walked in years. So you see him in the nursing home, and his hands are trembling on his chest, and he slowly works his way back until all of a sudden he's throwing alley-oops to himself. But um, <laughs> but I thought his, uh, his, his arc was interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, Kyrie was having fun. I give these guys credit. What, what, yeah. what did this movie make the opening weekend? $15 million? It's still better than I thought. I don't know what the budget is. It's three, that's three times Boogie's salary next year. <laughs> that's, that's true. And this will do well on DVD, I think. Wait, do they sell DVDs? Streaming. Yeah. I will say there were a lot of kids in the audience that had a lot of fun. Yeah, they I mean, did. I won't say there were a lot of kids. There were like 10 kids in the audience at the end of it, and they were having a lot of fun. Was this a kid's movie? I never. I didn't think of that until right A lot now. of it was about sexual relations. Right. And, oh, what about the dance scene? Well, you knew that was coming. I as soon as they were in the club, you were like... They just needed filler, and they were like, "Our oh, guys, we're going to go to a club, and you're old, and you're going to dance, and it'll be funny." And By the way, they lost. Yeah, I was going to say they're having a dance off against what turned out to be like professional ass dancers. The and cast those, of those Stomp guys the Yard destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they, and first of all, when you get into a fight with someone, like, "Hey, man, you're too old to be in this club," and they're like, "Great, we'll yeah. have a dance off." What are the odds those people are also professional dancers? Yeah, pretty good. When was the last time you went to the club and you saw people doing a professional style dance? Let's answer the first part of that. When's the last time you went to the club? (laughs) Let me check my watch. Yeah, 2007? (laughs) I'm the Uncle Drew of the club. I've I've been gone for a long time. As much as we laugh at these characters, (laughs) we ain't that far off. All right. So that's it. I would say I'll give it a, a I'll give it a thumbs up. Good try, good effort. Uh, some good performances, fantastic branding, 
and corporate messaging. <laughs> Lots of product placement. Uh, and I bought the Uncle Drews that you see. At one point, Kyrie someone just up. thanks Pepsi and Excedrin <laughs> and a number of different. Nick Kroll. See, thanks Pepsi and Aleve. Aleve, yeah. The world's greatest <laughs> pain destroyer, I think, was the, was the All first. All right. Uh, no distraction. This was our distraction this week. Am I right? Yeah, this is, yeah, this is All good. All right. Well, right now, we're going to go to an interview I got to do with Dina Castro. You know Dina as one of the most iconic American runners of all time. She's got a new book come out, Let Your Mind Run. It's a really interesting memoir about uh, how she changed her mental, uh, I guess, how she addressed the mental side of sports and how that fueled her success. We open up about that, but mostly we are talking baking. If you go to her Instagram, plenty of great images of what she's cooking up. uh, And I talk about it all, you know, just favorite family recipes. When are we going to see her on Food Network? You know, like all all the essentials. So have fun with that. Adam, thanks for being here. Thanks, man. <laughs> Happy 4th. Happy 4th to you. <laughs> and we'll- Only in America can you turn a Pepsi commercial about an old man dressed as a basketball player into a feature-length film. <laughs> Enjoy that. And uh, booty rappers. Stay booty. At one point in your life, you really thought about giving up running and o- opening up a bakery or, or going into cooking full time. Is that is that really true? And, and do you ever think about think about that that fork in the road and what it would have been like had you done that? Yeah, absolutely. When I was graduating from from college, I was baking for a lot of local businesses um, out of a out of another establishment, a smokeyard, um, a smokehouse. I was using their industrial kitchen and really was feeling a, a lot of gratification that was lacking in my running at the time. So it seemed like the better path to take. And um, and I eventually was stopped short by a coach who asked, "Are you sure you've given this running thing all all you all you have before <laughs> walking away?" So kind of cracked open my curiosity a little but you know in life where we have these moments where we have these pivotal pivotal times and and these big choices to make and you know you're you're setting yourself on a trajectory that could be totally different um, depending on that choice but what I've realized over the years is that the hundreds and thousands of choices that we make every single day are steer us in a, in a different direction. It may not be as critical as those big moments, but the choices we make to, to give up or dig down, to, um, to, to walk away or, or sit there until the answers come to us, um, are really are really important choices to make that are equally as as big, but they don't seem as big as those moments when we're finding a, a career path or choosing a college. Or right. um, I, I think I think that um, that yeah, we have moments that we can really go in in opposite directions. And I I wouldn't be wouldn't be talking to you from my home in Mammoth Lakes, California, if I had chosen <laughs> to be to be a baker. But um, but I'm sure whatever my choice um, would have been, it would have been it would have been met with a relative amount of success, but I think really sticking with with running and learning the secrets of, of a positive mindset through sport has, has really been um, critical. And now any choices that I, that I make in life from raising my seven-year-old daughter to, um, to being a wife for the president of our track club here, the person that loves rescue dogs, that I can, I can have that same good mindset going into any adventure. 
Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the book is about, um, you know, having a positive mindset. I, I was struck by, I was looking at some of your food-related posts on your Instagram, which, by the way, uh, all delicious-looking stuff. Congratulations. You're a much better chef than I am. But you were talking about it uh, as, like, uh, cooking as, as strategic joy, that on a Sunday morning, getting up and making scones uh, might be something that you enjoy before a, a long run that you're dreading. So can you talk about how you've applied that positive mindset that's that's helped you achieve such a high level of sport toward other passions like like cooking yeah I think um, I, in writing let your mind run I was trying to sum up all of the, the big lessons that I've that I've learned kind of those universal truths that sport has taught me but that I could apply it to to everyday uh, successes and triumphs and to me I, I find a lot of bliss in the kitchen I um, my my big like buzzword the the word that gets me excited is quality so I mm-hmm. like starting with quality ingredients and putting together a quality meal for quality friends and family that are sitting around the table. And so my days feel very fulfilling in that way when you, when you make sure that your, your days are filled with quality things um, and making those choices um, has, has really been fulfilling in so many ways. So to me, to be in the kitchen, it's how I show love to, to those around me to be in the kitchen and start this meal with great intentions and quality ingredients and put it together in a way that I want to nourish and, um, nourish their efforts and, and bring everybody around the table for great storytelling and, and good times. That to me is the epitome of a, of a fantastic day. I saw a video with you where you were talking about how your mother was not a, a, what I would call a great cook, and that's no shots fired uh, on my end. I'm in the same boat. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, as someone who grew up eating a lot of, like, variations of the same ham or, uh, you know, with these strange little, like, frozen patty shells with, like, chicken soup in it, what were some dishes you, you recall maybe fondly now or through a nostalgic place now that you would probably have far transcended um, from your youth in terms of what you do in terms of your, your cooking abilities now? Oh my God! I used to, I used to despise cheese growing up because cheese to me was in a cellophane package, individually wrapped squares of American cheese, tasted a little bit like rubber. And um, and now I love cheese because it comes from you know grass-fed cows and made in um, small batches on on family farms. So um, so cheese is one thing that I feel like I got cheated out of in my childhood of knowing what good cheese should taste like, and also canned baby peas. I, it's the only vegetable I think my dad still eats. Um, but it's just these lucerne peas in a can. And I don't know if it's because I was adopted or or, or it was just the, uh, the sentiment of the name that they were baby peas and I had to finish the only vegetable on my, my plate. So they were these, <laughs> not even warm. He would, he would, they would serve, my mom and dad would serve them cold even. So it was these cold kind of like off green, like almost like an army green, not the bright, vibrant green peas that you would shuck and put on top of pasta with ricotta cheese and lemon zest and something that would be spring-like and delicious, but these um, these very colorless, 
uh, peas that were mushy. And because they were baby peas, I would shove them in my mouth at the same time and try to swallow in fast <laughs> intervals so they weren't separated from one another. I was like, even when I was a kid, I'm like, this is something sick that I might end up in therapy over years from now. But um, I still can't look at a pea and not reflect on, on, a, on my childhood vegetable. So when did you start to pursue cooking on your own and find that you had a talent for it? Uh, I started pursuing cooking, I think, simultaneously with running, that I would come home ravenous from school and hungry after practice, and I wasn't about to open a can of baby peas to to indulge in, so I would start putting together, you know, it starts with scrambled eggs, and how do you make how do you make scrambled eggs look prettier, and, um, and even this morning, I made my daughter the egg in a nest when you, like, put the, put the, um, the egg in sunny side up and put the piece of bread over it with a hole cut in the middle so the yolk comes through. Oh, right. Like that was a child. That was one of the first things I ever cooked on my own. Um, so making that for, for my daughter with a little bit of pesto and diced tomatoes on the side. And so it's um, to me, it's it was experimenting in the kitchen was a way to add a little bit more flavor to my meals and, and satisfy my hunger. What are you more of a baking person cooking like, you know, uh, big meals? Like what's your preferred style? What, what are the things you like to do most? Yeah, I, um, I, I like both baking and cooking. Um, cooking, I'll, I'll do usually in the kitchen myself while Piper's doing a craft or a project and Andrew's out buzzing around, filling cars up with gas and meeting with athletes because um, I, I like that quiet time in the, in the kitchen. But baking to me is about making a, a mess and having flour in our hair and, um, and making <laughs> a mess of the kitchen and having, having mixing bowls piling up in the sink. So to me, they're, they, they're very different, but they, sat, they satisfy something different. But I love doing um, both baking and cooking. And it's always starting off with great ingredients, um, farm-fresh eggs, grass-fed, um, it's grass-fed butter. I'm saying grass-fed butter as if the butter is eating grass, but <laughs> butter from grass-fed cows. Um, and, and just starting with those, with those great, great ingredients. Sometimes it's fun to experiment with flour, but regular flour usually comes, um, returns the best product as opposed to um, using coconut flour, almond flour. Try to put a little bit of those in depending on the, the baked good to give it different texture flavors. But I send, tend to incorporate it with regular flour as well so we're not a gluten-free household. Um, and then same with, with, with putting dinner together. The, the fish has to be wild and sustainable. The meat has to come from from a grass-fed ranch or this ranch that I visited in Cameron, Texas called 44 Farms, where I met the cows head-to-head, these 3,000-pound Angus cattle, and you could walk right up to them and touch them between the nose. They're so docile and trusting. Um, so just making sure that the, that the proteins we eat are coming from sustainable sources and that um, the animals are, are treated well right up until the time that they're not, I guess. Um, yeah. And and then I love like t- um, tonight on the the dinner menu is um, blanched asparagus and an heirloom tomato salad with an anchovy dressing on top and um, and we'll do some um, skirt steak that's being marinated in tequila and cilantro and um, and some herbs so to me it's just putting together fresh ingredients always tastes good. 
Yeah, I, I saw you talk about how, as an athlete, you like to add things to your diet that are healthy as opposed to depriving yourself. I think from a, an average person's perspective, we always think about getting healthier as taking things away from our diet. Could you could you explain that mindset a little bit more? Because I do think that feeds into the um, just the overall tone that you take with everything in terms of bringing a positive mindset to the table and, and trying to spur good behaviors through um, positive reinforcement. Yes, I think it's a it's a great differentiation when people are trying to be healthier to incorporate a, an exercise routine or um, or to or to diet. That dieting to me always resonates with depriving yourself of of things, and you feel cheated and kind of grumpy because because you're saying no to yourself all the time. And it then again comes back to quality. That if you want to be healthier, then then drink more water and add fruits and vegetables and and better sources of protein to your to your diet as opposed to cutting out things and feeling deprived because I think we, sh- we should feel worthy. We should feel proud and deserving of, of the foods that give us joy. But to me, if I'm in the mood for, um, for something indulgent, a flourless chocolate tort or, or cookies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them from, from good ingredients or get them from a good bakery as opposed to getting a, a sleeve of processed um, processed goods that really have no love or value inside of them. So you share a lot of your of your cooking on Instagram, and your fans really seem to engage positively. What is it like putting yourself out there um, with them, and and what have you sort of seen from what they say back? Just seeing that different side of you. Yeah, I I think we're in an age right now um, that social media gives us an opportunity to to really engage with others, to broaden our friendships, and I think we're we're social beings. It's important to to interact um, throughout your day, both um, in a human connection and also over social media. So I'm really um, I really feel privileged that that we have this reach um, in this day and age to be able to, um, to, to engage with others in different capacities. For me, it's, it's sports and it's, and it's cooking and dining and it's reading great books and passing on the encouragement you're getting from them and trying to be a good influence um, as opposed to a negative one because sometimes it can be easy to, um, to be snarky when you see something you disagree with. Right. But to use social media in a, in a platform that spreads good and not, um, and not hostility and anger. And, um, and for me, that, again, comes down to, to food and sharing, sharing that with, with others, whether it's good messaging um, or just the, the things that are crossing our, our table. I love going um, when I travel. The number one thing isn't going to see attractions and museums. It's finding the hottest new restaurants that's, that's, um, that's in the city or town that I'm visiting and, and making sure I go and indulge there. So I, I love um, to, go to, to go to new places and find, a, find the greatest places to run and explore, but then also make sure that I'm getting that culture from the, from the community by dining there as well. Are you someone that that is sort of obsessed with foodie online posts or or what we call food porn? Are you on any specific sites all day sort of looking at other stuff or are you kind of more insular about your own your own creations, your own cooking? Yeah, I guess I I guess it's more of a personal more of a personal journey. I guess how I connect is seeing what's what's hot in a new place that I'm going, the restaurant that's getting the most buzz and attention or awards or stars at that time. Um, but to me, it's about what I, 
it's it's about what's fulfilling me so um and how I can fulfill my family or friends along the way i I love sharing sharing great restaurants with with runner friends and um, people that i that I'm traveling with so that's kind of my thing. I just scope it out and then hey everybody let's make reservations at this place and and go dine here and there's also been times where I've dined alone at at the the greatest restaurants and asked them to do a tasting menu so I sit there for two and a half hours and 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 have seven seven courses of food, so um, <laughs> it's 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 really just how I enjoy it. So, uh, lastly, before we shift gears more toward the book, I, I just want to ask: like, do you have any specific home run comfort foods that you make that you'd share with us? Uh, any, anything that comes to mind that you're like, oh, what a, what a terrible day! I just want to get in the kitchen and make this. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, it's, it's really hot here in Mammoth right now. So we're starting to think about getting a campsite up at the Lakes Basin where it's a few, few degrees cooler. And, um, whenever we're camping, I always make beef bourguignon when, uh, um, mm. on a camping trip. So I've got that in my mind right now. I make a really great beef bourguignon. Um, and it's, it's great after hiking around and paddle boarding all day to, to sit in front of the fire and, and have these tender pieces of meat and, um, um, and and mushrooms and of course a nice bottle of wine cracked open by the fire is um, is a great way to end a, a, a day of camping. So um, so that's that's been on my mind today. Um, but I'm trying to think of a. I, do, I feel like I, I love to experiment so much that I don't really have many go tos because it changes with the season, like what's available seasonally. I make really fantastic avocado enchiladas. Um, Mm. I also do really great swordfish with a lemon caper and white wine sauce. Um, and I usually serve asparagus on the side because the, the lemon caper and, and wine sauce also go well with the, with the asparagus. I love making pizzas are like, I guess pizzas we do often because I'll make the dough and then it's just whatever's fresh at the, at the produce stand that we're throwing on top of it and one of my favorites is prosciutto and arugula we have arugula goes crazy in our garden so i do make a lot of arugula pestos and salads with arugula but i also love it on top of a a pizza after it comes out of the oven yeah are you more of an experimenter or do you like to work off of recipes and just make some strategic uh, tweaks here and there yeah, I love to experiment. I love I love <laughs> to just get in the kitchen and see. And my daughter has that in her also. She um, she wanted to make us an appetizer a while ago, and she started with a great deal of butter melting in the pan. And I said, "Wow, we're off to a good start. This looks delicious." And then <laughs> uh, and then she put in goldfish and she cut up sheets of seaweed and added these um, small like protein pretzels. Um, like hard crunchy pretzels in and mixed them all with butter and added a few spices to them and put them on the table. And my husband and I were like, oh, man. And they were, it was actually delicious. <laughs> so that was our appetizer that night. <laughs> that's, the, that's the opposite of my house where my five-year-old daughter, she won't eat anything but like the same meal every night, like mac and cheese. And if you give her something else, she'll just start crying at the table until you take it away. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, Piper Piper has cried when her smoothie wasn't the right shade of pink one morning. <laughs> it was like a little off normal. So she'll cry and throw a fit about that. But she's the one at sushi asking for more fish eggs on top of her roll and seaweed salad. And she loves Thai food. So she's definitely an adventurous wow. eater. But I find that she, she eats better when she's a part of the process. She'll, she'll, she'll 
experiment a little more with with new foods when when she's part of making it. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, we've we've hinted at the book here and there. Let your mind run a memoir of thinking my way to victory. I, I want to talk about it a little bit in more uh, specific detail because I do think it, the tone of it is really fascinating. I think a lot of times when athletes are writing a memoir, the the the, the, the where everything naturally goes to is oh, I just want to dive into sort of the plot of my story and the key, key moments. This is such an introspective work about your mindset. Um, and how you how you took a pretty arduous road to shifting it before um, you, I mean when you decided to go this way uh, with your writing was it a difficult choice to get this personal to, to dive this deep into the way your mind was working and really kind of lay bare all of the different challenges you faced in in, in trying to shift that mindset I was definitely tentative about writing this book, and um, and it was because I knew it would be challenging. But it was a hundred times harder than I ever thought it would, it right. would be. It was. It, I, I the whole time I'm like, why didn't I decide to write a book on how to master mile repeats? Why did it have to be about the mental game and the evolution of of positivity over the years? And um, but I but I really didn't want this memoir to just be a collection of winning races. I wanted it to be something people could walk away from. I wanted it to be, I like to think of it more of like an instructional memoir that you're not shoving lessons down people's throat, but if they wanted to, they can be like, huh, I can do better at this. Or yeah, I think that way sometimes. And it didn't really work out for me. So, um, so it was important in the whole writing process. I wanted people to discover more about themselves than learn about me. And, um, and really my, my first professional coach, Joe Vigil, was so stunning in the way he led by example on how he shared everything. He didn't have a lot of extra time in the day, but he, what he had, he always shared it. He didn't have a lot of money, but he was he was quick to lend money to people and sharing sharing that. He was quick to feed people at his table and also share knowledge in a heartbeat. He would share knowledge that he spent his entire lifetime acquiring and learning and trying to master um, master the sport of, of running as well as um, life in general. So I just felt like, gosh, if, if the, the value of everything we have increases when it's shared, then I want to share the, the best that I've learned, the most ultimate lessons that that sport has given me. I want to share that with the reader. And we hear so much about how athletes use neg- negativity to fuel their success. And I think this runs a really counter, a strong counter argument to that as you, as you talk about sort of shedding the, the toxicity. Uh, how can, how do, have you found that you can train your mind to better take that positive outlook and use it as the fuel that you need, as opposed to what I think lots of people and lots of coaches instill in, in, in young athletes, which is use the, use the bad stuff as, as your fuel? Yeah, it is a. It's definitely a um, a misnomer that angst and and anger fuel athletic performances. And scientifically, it's actually um, proven now that that positive path is is the more is the is the one that's going to give you the best results. If you just think on its most elemental terms, when you're when you're angry, your body is is filled with with tension and um, and it's uptight. Whereas if you're if you're in a in a more positive state of mind, one of gratitude for being there, maybe not 
I mean, this book isn't about being like blissfully happy-go-lucky and naive and and like skipping down the road, getting ready to to line up to a race. It's about using gratitude as a powerful force to fuel you. It's about thinking of all the reasons you should succeed as opposed to the reasons that you could fail. And in that way, positivity, not not naivety, but but positivity is is a great fuel source. Um, and there is even a study with the NBA that um, that Sean Acor did was a part of, and he's a, a professor of positivity from Harvard, and he was trying to bring positivity into the NBA. And so many of those basketball players were like, "No, this is this is my this is my fuel." Like anger and growing up poor and and dwelling on on how hard my life has been is what makes me go out there. And they were very tentative. Some of these athletes are very tentative about trying positive approaches to their game. And what they found in uh, once they broke them down and, and, and they were able to, to agree to, to practicing positivity that their game amplified tenfold. And I think that that was a very compelling study, which was just done in the past five years. So when you write about Andrew, do you let him read it first, or is it like, hey, pick it up in the bookstore, and if you disagree, we'll talk about it? <laughs> My husband has been wonderful. He actually um, joked about writing his own book called My Side of the Story. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but he, was, he was upset about some of, the, um, uh, some of the more intimate scenes not making the final cut. He would have really liked a good, uh, a good bedroom scene in there, but <laughs> I, I told him that it wasn't, wasn't that kind of book. <laughs> that's, the, that's the movie. You know, we'll wait, we'll wait for that. Yeah. Or the HBO yes. series. <laughs> yes. You know, and for other, for other uh, the, and again, I, I think just in kind of wrapping our, our interview here, I mean, you are someone that, that seems to embrace passions uh, beyond sports and to think about the balance that, and, and the role that your overall mental well-being can play in physical success. Um, we, we do live in an era now when um, athletes are told more than ever, stick to sports, um, when, when they're, they're hyper-specialized or, or kind of routed into certain lanes. Um, how have you tried to balance you know, your personal pursuits with your athletic pursuits all throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's important to to have passions that are complementary to to your game, like going out and and partying until two o'clock in the morning, going to raves, doing drugs, isn't going to really um, support your athletic career. But if you can be passionate in in things that bring you joy, like to me, it's if there's fresh flowers in a vase, if um, if I'm spending time with my family, taking the dogs for a walk, reading a great book, um, writing a book, like these are all things that that give me joy. So we're talking about earlier strategic joy, um, about making scones in the morning before the dreaded long run just to start my day off a little better. It's just finding ways in your day to, to add add quality thing quality things and quality time to your life so that so that you don't feel like you're being cheated, that your your um, your career and your or your sport doesn't feel like a sacrifice to everything else that you that you enjoy doing, and I think that that's a that's a big reason that um, I've had longevity in my career um, as an athlete is is because I never felt like I was being cheated out of anything else that that I wanted to do. Because although I don't own a bakery, I still get to bake and share it with with friends and people stopping by. So um, so to me, it's about not feeling deprived and like you're sacrificing the world um, just to pursue your sport. 
When are we going to see the Food Network show or uh, you know the, the the side project? What's in the works on on sharing this uh, you know off Instagram? Oh, you're so funny. Why don't you just come over for a nice meal? You can come over for dinner one night. If you're if you're making those meatloaf cupcakes, that that was my jam. I was looking at that like I, I could get on board with this. This is good. Yes, that my April Fool's joke to Piper, and I told, woke her up from her nap to tell her <laughs> we were having cupcakes for dinner, and she looked at me like, are you crazy? We're having <laughs> cupcakes for dinner? And she ran upstairs and sat at the kitchen table and looked at her, at her cupcake, and she bit into it, and it was like one of those things where you're expecting sweet, and instead it's meatloaf and mashed potatoes with chia seed <laughs> sprinkles on top, and she just had a meltdown. And then after her meltdown was over and she realized she had been, she'd been punked on April Fool's Day that she was wiping the tears off and and she had she had a couple more of them so they they were delicious but um but i'm not sure it was the it was the best thing for our relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we we love it we you know we'll tell all of our listeners to pick up the book let your mind run we'll tell them all to follow you on instagram for for great cooking experimentations and we appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us thanks you guys it was a pleasure talking 